Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni DiGiovanni and joining me once again, Adam Christou. Good to be with hello. you. Hello, 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 hello. It's good to be back. I'm excited to talk about games that we've been playing and kind of get pumped about them. So yeah. One game that is very hyped at the moment. A lot of people are talking about it. It's the game that everyone in your Steam's list has probably just picked up in the last couple of weeks. Um, we'll be talking a little bit about Valheim. Uh, which is sort of a sandbox, crafty survival game. And Adam, you've been playing a game that's just been hooking you in and getting you back in again and again and again and again. What have you been playing recently? I've been playing Loop Hero, which I think is the other game that everyone on your Steam list is playing at the moment. It seems like it's had a bit of a real wild success since it got launched. And it is a really interesting sort of roguelike game with a lot of other genres mixed into the, the way it kind of plays out. It's, it's really fun. Well, if this is the first time you ever listened to Mainstream before, this is uh, the sort of companion podcast to Pixel Sift. Uh, the team at Pixel Sift like to talk about all sorts of games. We talk to developers uh, at all levels about what it takes to actually make games. But this is our experiences of what it's like to play some of those games that, as you said, everyone has been talking about. So let's jump in. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Adam. Hello. What is Loop Hero? Loop Hero. What is Loop Hero? That is the eternal question. I feel like when I try to tell people what Loop Hero is, I'm trying to explain, um, I guess, like the Matrix to people is the best way to describe it. So oh my Loop God, Hero. Nerd. Oh, dude, it, it really is. Uh, look, I'm happy to have that mantle. Throw it on me. Why not? Okay, so Loop Hero is being developed by an indie team called Four Quarters Team. Um, it's out now on PC and Mac only via Steam. Um, and Devolver Digital is the distributor. And it is what I would describe as a strange mix of roguelike, idle game slash incremental clicker, auto chess battler. And also there is a card and deck building mechanic going on here as well. Um, so that is a lot of like soupy genres kind of coming together in a, a very heady mess that I think we haven't seen intersect before. Um, but the answer that I can kind of boil it down to is that this is a really addictive strategy game that is very simple to play, but has a lot of deep complexity about it that really rewards you once you start diving into it and peeling back all the layers that it offers. Um, I think it's like the ultimate kind of strategy kind of pick up and, and play roguelike for people that have never really wanted to dice into this genre or have felt uncomfortable by it before or just felt it like unwieldy. Even I better think, than Hades? Well, see, Hades is really about Twitch combat and there is no Twitch combat in in Loop Hero. It is, it, it's almost like I feel like if you like Bejeweled, you could get into Loop Hero. It's kind of at that level. It's like, it's oh, the it's sort like of game. The literal gateway drug from the from the mobile phone idle games to. Yeah, big time. It like mobile phone idle games, I think is like the, the launching point for a lot of people here. It's the sort of game where it's like, I want it to be on iPad so that I can tell my mum to pick it up because I think she'd really love the strategy elements of it. And it would just open up a whole new world of games for her. So I might kind of try to unpack and explain how all these genres come together and what gameplay actually looks like in Loop Hero, because um, I think that'll give a better idea of, of why I think it's so successful. Um, first, the art style is really gorgeous. It's this beautiful retro style that I think just, it's trying to look like a old 90s DOS game that you would get on a floppy disk. And it kind of just works in that whole sense. The art style 
is kind of very classic like that. It has like a CRT monitor filter that you can turn on and off. Um, the pointer in this game is like, you know, if you're a fan of like 90s pointers in games where things look like a weird hand, I'm thinking like early Warcraft or whatever. Yeah, that Warcraft um, for, 2 orc hand when you're playing. Yeah, it's it's got a good Warcraft 2 orc hand going on this game. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely given that energy. Um, so that's kind of like the look of it. The, the musical feel of it is like beautiful kind of chiptune and 8-bit soundtrack. And then gameplay essentially is you're kind of launching to expeditions and then you'll kind of and expeditions are the main sort of roguelike element of this game and then after an expedition you'll kind of be back at base camp where you'll do some base building and kind of play around with like a a meta game where you're using resources that you collected in your runs to like upgrade your character and make you stronger in future loops but essentially an expedition in this game is you'll see a blank map appear and then a loop will kind of form just like a singular road that's kind of working around um, the environment that you're in and the rest of the world is blank and your hero will be on that loop. And then when you press the space bar or the right mouse button, you'll kind of unfreeze time and your character will start walking through the loop. There's a small percentage chance on these barren roads that like that they will spawn slimes. As you come across a slime, um, you kind of initiate an automatic battle with it. So this is where that kind of auto chess battler kind of energy comes in. You have no direct control over these battles. You're kind of like pitting up against the enemies and you're kind of weighing up your own stats and equipment to make sure that you'll win these automatic battles that play out. When you defeat one of these slimes, they may drop gear for you. So it might be like a sword. It might be a magical ring with stats on it, or they might drop a card and cards are how you interact with the environment and the world and loop hero. Um, they let you place things onto the board essentially. So that blank space that's all around the loop is actually uh, locations and squares that you can kind of place down um, details of the environment if you'd like. Um, and some cards actually allow you to place things directly onto the loop. So for example, one of the cards is a cemetery. And if you place that on the loop, you create a cemetery tile, which as you walk through, it gives you some resources. So there's real value in having it there. But every couple of days, because there's a day-night cycle in this game as well, a skeleton will spawn and you'll have to fight it the next time you come around the cemetery on the loop. So you're in control of how many monsters end up on the loop based on these tiles that you're placing. And there's a real strategy in making sure that you don't overwhelm yourself too early, but because all of your gear and equipment and strength comes from defeating monsters, you really need to make sure that you're placing those tiles as well, or you'll quickly be too weak to kind of keep going through the loop. Um, other tiles and cards kind of work as environmental kind of cards and they have a lot of interplay with things. So you can place meadows down and meadows will give you a chance to regenerate HP every day. So every time the day cycle ticks over, you might get three HP back each morning and that can stack. So if you've got like 20 meadows down, you'll get like a lot of HP back each cycle, which can be really beneficial. There's other tiles that give you like attack speed increases and various things that just complement your gear or the build that you're working to. So the environment that you're building in this game and placing down with the cards directly interplays into the build that you're trying to create with the gear that's randomly dropping as well, which means that like every moment you get loot in this game becomes like a real kind of interesting sort of tension point about like, where do I place this and what do I do there? And I haven't even begun to explain how like the various cards that you're placing down on this board all interact with each other as well. If you place a meadow next to a mountain, that meadow will become a blooming meadow and be three times as effective. So you start kind of really thinking about how am I going to play around with placement here? Like, 
do I want to stack all my mountains in a nine by nine grid or whatever so that they can become a super mountain, which really boosts my HP. But if I do that, then harpies are going to spawn and I'm going to have to fight harpies. Like there's all this sort of stuff going on and it, it doesn't explain a lot of it. It really wants you to kind of discover things by trial and accident. And that's a really fun feeling as well. I guess like, hmm, I've rambled a lot about mechanics. Did, does this kind of make sense? Because I feel like it's yeah. it's definitely a game that I think feels complex until you play it. It remind, It actually really reminds me of like board games that I've played. Um, it really feels like that sort of element. Well, you know, they there's a lot of in that genre where you talk about like, um, tile placing games, things like like Catan and a bunch of other ones are like that. You're building out the world as you go through and as you discover bits and pieces, um, then they sort of change your relationship and whatever you come across, you know, th- there's a very similar sort of, I mean, obviously the lineages are the same of these sort of things. So that's kind of why it does that. But the other thing it re- immediately reminded me of as it's talking about building out the world and sort of discerning which, which challenges you work through is um, Hand of Fate and Hand of Fate 2 as well as you kind of work through this sort of dungeon master led world of what of what you look at um and then you can kind of decide do i go left and take on the challenge of these enemies or do i go on to the the um pick up some items or something like that so yeah it sounds really really fun how punishing is it um if if you fail in this game well that's the kind of interesting thing so failure in this game i think really is about like um have i bit off more than i can chew is the way that i like to phrase it so um the way that it works is there is a base camp um, that is at the very beginning of the loop that you start at. And when you get to the end of the loop, your character stops there before the next loop starts. And you can kind of assess how you're going and be like, do I want to continue on? Do I want to try the next loop? Or do I want to just call it quits? If you call it quits at the base camp, you get to keep 100% of the resources that you gathered up to that point and take it back with you to the meta layer where you'll be building your base and upgrades and stuff. If you kind of retreat mid-loop, then you only get to keep 60% of your resources. And if you die during the loop, you only get to keep 30% of what you collected. So there's a real incentive to kind of know when you've been off more than you can chew and make the right call of when to retreat and when to continue. And that punishment really is up to your judgment and whether or not you've made a mistake thinking you'd be able to get somewhere and just go, no, no, I've really misjudged things. I've died. Um, And that feels really satisfying because it really does feel fair. It's like, okay, I made the wrong call. I should have pulled out early. But you aren't walking out with nothing at all, are you? You can still come back with something. So it's not, I think that's the challenge with a lot of these uh, rogue likes and road light games is that you know quite often the the punishment of failure is so high and that's what often turns me off for a lot of them is that i feel like oh gosh i have to really start from scratch so as long as i know that i'm always sort of eking along slowly 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 um it really takes a lot of the the punishing feeling away from it yeah and i i kind of want to go back to your settler of Catan reference because um the idea of kind of making the board or building the world around you is actually one of my favorite parts of this game because they've weaved it into the narrative, which is so smart. So um, this is set in a fantasy universe where the world has been unmade by a lich or some sort of necromancer type monster. Um, And you are the lone hero left in a strange void of nothingness, essentially. So all there is with you is the road and the loop. And as you're walking around and placing tiles, it's actually a representation of your character remembering the world and bringing it back to life through their memories and undoing the spell of the lich. And eventually, once you put enough tiles on the board, you actually summon that lich to be like a big end boss. 
And that's kind of how you um, beat a difficulty level and go on to the next act and the next boss in difficulty. And it, I just think that that narrative hook works so well with everything that's kind of at play here. It's it's kind of ingenious. The narrative is, you know, it's it's not Hades level of like every time I do a like a I finish around, I'm going to come back to a rich story. But there's enough here that plays into the concept of why you're repeating and why you're re -go going through the cycle that feels strong. It doesn't feel like it's just kind of thrown in there because it's a roguelike and it needs to work with the mechanics. It's like they've really thought about that interplay of narrative and story. And also there's an encyclopedia in this game and almost every monster has like multiple journal entries about them. And I live for that sort of kind of lore fluff. It's very like... If you're into destiny law cards and that sort of stuff, I think you can really get into this game on that level too. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of embedded itself into my brain at the moment and it's all I can think about. So you know what that big... re really reminds me of? You know when you used to get those uh, 90s era games and they'd have those manuals and you just pour through the manual reading all the different bits about the history of these particular characters in there and bits and pieces would play out in the game? Is it, does it scratch that itch for you? It it definitely does. And I, I have those very, like, come back and call me a nerd right now kind of moments where, you know, as a child, I was 10 years old, like, you know, crawling into bed with the Diablo 2 manual, kind of being like, yeah, tell me the lore behind the Amazon strafe ability. I'm going to read this thing. <laughs> and, like, I, I really enjoy when games kind of go in on that sort of level and, like, really try to flesh out their world and explain every single goblin or monster that you come across. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. High marks. I think this game is really special. Uh, what is a moment that really sticks out to you as something you would kind of give us the example of this is the, the experience that you could get if you go and play Loop Hero? Yeah, okay. Um, I think a moment for me was when I worked out the interaction between um, the village card, which like places a village on your loop so that when you walk through it, um, you get like a health boost each time you go through in the loop, which is really helpful. Um, and the vampire um, mansion card, which kind of you put that in that on, on near your loop and it creates like a sphere of influence so that all tiles around it, if there are boss fights there, vampires will kind of come out and join them and like give everyone life leech. It's horrible. They're the worst. Um, and I put like a vampire mansion too close to a village. And the response was the vampires have sacked the village now and it's full of ghouls, which are super strong. So you've got to fight them and the vampires every time you come past this village now. And that was like a real like, oh crap, I think I've just screwed myself moment. Um, but there is an advantage to doing that as well. And that after three times through the loop, the ransacked village actually transforms into a super version of the village that gives you a huge health boost when you go through. So working out like, how am I going to take advantage of this? Like, when is the right time for me to, like, put vampires on a village, you know, so that I can, like, survive it three times and then have a real benefit is really cool. And also just the interaction of all that kind of happening organically. I feel like I've spoiled it for everyone listening now, but it was, yeah, it was one of those special moments where I was like, there's some really cool stuff going on in this game and I can't wait to peel it all apart. And I think I've got maybe, like, 50 more hours until I tap out of interesting things to discover, but that's... Still pretty great for a game that's like 15 bucks. Um, that sounds like a lot like the mechanics they have um, in, I even think in Hades as well, when you get the uh, the thonic uh, boons, which give you a disadvantage for a certain number of rounds, but then afterwards you get something much better. You know, it's that risk reward that you, well, well, as you said there, whether or not you've bitten off more than you can chew. Mm, mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, so we sort of touched on this at the beginning, but who is this game for? I actually feel like 
this game is for everyone. Like if you are wanting to dip your toes into the world of strategy, this is a great starting point. If you love idle games, come on in. If you loved Dota Auto Chess, come on in. If you love roguelikes, it's also great. I think that the overlap here is so strong. I recommended it to a friend who's really into games like Civilization and 4X strategy games. And she's just been playing it nonstop for the past week and a half, even though it's not normally a game she would have found and picked up. And I think that kind of goes to speak to just like the kind of amount of people that this can kind of um, reach just because of how simplistic the actual gameplay is. You're literally dragging and dropping equipment onto your character sheet and placing tiles on a board and hitting pause and unpause. There's there's no difficult mechanics here that you have to master in terms of control of your character, like in Hades, where I think if you didn't have that gameplay literacy behind you of like, okay, this is like an isometric action game. I'm kind of familiar with how to use two analog sticks, etc. You've immediately hit a wall. And I think that this game has no walls to hit other than it looks like something from 1993 and you've got to be ready to be like, that's a 1993-ass-looking game. <laughs> and I think if you can get past that, um, you're having a blast, really. It sounds like it brings together a lot of those really core elements, you know, enough in it for, for people new to the genre, but also some for, for people who've got previous experiences in that and, and want to really go back and feel that they're in a modern game. Um, that is Loop Hero. Uh, it is available on computer at the moment uh, and presumably will come to lots of other platforms down the track. Let's jump into the next one. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So, Gianni, you've been, I guess you've passed away and you've been in the afterlife. Like Mario, you died this month, but you went to Valheim. So, so tell me about Valheim. What is this game? What's it about? What have you been doing in it? Okay, so Valheim is a, again, sort of a retro-styled, um, I think you kind of put it almost like PlayStation 2. I even reckon like some of the end-era PlayStation 1-style graphics. Um, it is a survival game uh, where you will, you've will you passed away into the Nordic uh, afterlife uh, in a world that is between uh, where you will come to your final rest in Valhalla, um, Valheim, and uh, it's made by Iron Gate Studio, which is a Swedish development studio, and it has been a bit of a blockbuster. This game is only in early access, but has managed to chock up 5 million players, probably more than that by the time we've done that uh, now, but it'll be ticking along. But every every person that you know is probably playing Valheim, and there's good reason for it. And I think the best thing about this particular game is that, yes, it does have similar sort of elements to it, like you would have experienced with many other survival games. You're collecting resources, you're trying your best to try and uh, build up the required equipment you need to move into the next stage. Um, but it's also got a bit of that sort of MMO feel to it as well. It kind of reminds me of very early uh, World of Warcraft or, or something like EverQuest in a way, uh, where you know you are building up equipment and you're making your way to it, you're getting your skills improved, um, and then you also have to fight these world bosses, and they're the ones that kind of unlock the next stage of your progression as you uh, move through this world into the lots of different like uh, biomes that you can discover. Um, there's, a, there's quite a deep um, 
multiplayer aspect to it as well. Um, and a lot of people are firing up dedicated servers, getting all their pals involved and building either massive structures. I've seen some really amazing things that remind me of what it was like when people were collaborating in Minecraft, building amazing things like I've seen it in a Millennium Falcon built out of like wood in a you know, forest that kind of looks like it's on Endor or something like that. I've also seen uh, amazing big houses and other bits and pieces. Um, but also you can just play the game and, and, and progress through, um, you know, going through, teaming up, fighting bosses, um, mastering the mechanics of, of these challenging ones. And there's a bit of a, a quick quick ramp up as well as you as you work your way through. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really fun, fun uh, sort of survival game. Um, and uh, one that, yeah, I think seeing as it's only early access can only go from strength to strength. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really glad that you mentioned EverQuest and and early World of Warcraft because I think the touchstone I think a lot of people are having with this game is also things like RuneScape or Ultima Online, that sort of really weird sandboxy game where there's some strange consequences, but like there's like a thrill of discovery everywhere you go in it, and it's got that sort of um that simplistic but deep element to it all, the way it kind of comes together. Because, like, I think the first thing that a lot of people might be thinking when they hear you talk about this game is, like, surely I can just go on to Steam or, like, any website and, like, you know, like, pick up a stick and, like, throw it and I'll hit, like, 10 survival kind of, like, online building games. So, like, I think the big skeptical question people have right now is why this game? What is making it magical? And and why are so many people connecting with it? I honestly think... And part of this might be because it does do that same sort of thing that we would have played when we play games like EverQuest or that. It feels like a game that you are very naturally discovering the elements of the world. Um, it you I didn't feel any desire to immediately go and look at what I needed to do in order to do stuff, um, which is not the case of what it was like in when Minecraft, when you even first started playing that. You know, you needed to find out what the exact configuration was to build things. In this, you know, you're given enough of a breadcrumb in order to discover the world on your own. You pick up one little piece of thing, you try put things together, each little air, uh, thing that you build unlocks a few little extra elements, and you're kind of working your way through a tech tree um, to, to build but greater and more powerful and more useful items as you progress through the world. And it, it doesn't, it it's not punishing. Um, it really feels generous in the way that it gives you that. And um, yeah, you just sort of discover things on your own. And I think that's sort of unlocked a sense of wonder for a lot of people. Did you have that sort of experience? I think you hit the nail on the head because like what works about Valheim is the loot and recipe mechanic, which I think a lot of people haven't really zoned in on. But when you pick up any new item in Valheim, you suddenly unlock all the recipes and things that you can build with it. So if the very first time you pick up a stick in this game or walking through the forest with nothing on you, it'll suddenly be like, and you can build a torch and you can do this and you can do that and that. And it's just enough to kind of give you a really piecemeal goal to kind of strive for. You never really get like super bombarded with a million things until you unlock building a house and suddenly the 12 different roofs that you can build all unlock. But it's kind of one roof is the same. But like having that moment of like, okay, I'm not stuck here having to go straight to the wiki. The game is like giving me just enough to stop me from doing that whole wiki spiral is really compelling because I think at this point in time in the game, people are still working it out as well. You've got this whole community that haven't quite figured everything out just yet and are still piecing all the pieces together. And then the game really rewards you for wanting to be part of that and the discovery process as well. And I think, yeah, it's kind of a lightning in a bottle thing of like, 
making you feel like your time is really valuable for wanting to learn how these things work as opposed to feeling frustrated and being like, oh God, I just have to go to the Wikipedia now to figure out where I get Flint or whatever. You'll kind of piece it together yourself in a way that feels really naturalistic and good. And I think that- um, And and the recipes themselves even are are that sort of breadcrumb for you to find the other elements you need. You know, you'll look for a particular thing. It'll say you need this particular other item. And then as soon as you go and find that other item, trying to fulfill a recipe that you have, you unlock a bunch of extra stuff. Mm, And there's this feeling of like, oh, yeah, I've just come across something I've never seen before. I want to pick that shit up because like you get rewarded for it with like a whole bunch of new things that you can kind of play around with creatively in this sandbox. And then... I think the other thing that really makes this game magical is just the art style. Like it is that kind of PlayStation one textures that haven't got any filtering on them. So they're really kind of blocky and kind of garish mixed with what I would call like kind of late era PlayStation two or early era PlayStation two kind of pixel, um, I guess, polygon count of like um, of objects in the world. So like it gives me very much like Morrowind on the Xbox kind of level of graphics at times. Um, and then you've got this gorgeous kind of like modern lighting and shadow and particle effects engine kind of running over the top of it. And just, I feel like I'm constantly in a moment, like these are pre-generated worlds like Minecraft, but I find that when I stumble into a meadow in this world, I want to stop and just kind of stare and be like, this place is really beautiful and I want to explore it. It feels handcrafted even though it isn't. Do you know what's interesting with this game is I've actually played a lot of it uh, using the Steam Remote Play um, rather than sitting in front of my computer and playing it, actually playing it on a very little screen, my phone with a controller attached to it. And because it has that sort of aesthetic style to it, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm missing out on much. The The animations are relatively simplistic um, in terms of what we might know from a current release in 2020 or 2021, um, but it actually fits really nicely. And, you know, because there is always enough little bits and pieces to do like if i feel like it i can just go and collect a whole bunch of resources and build a better house or i can start collecting resources to go and tackle the bosses or go and just look around and find what i can find see if i can go as far as i can and and make my way home again like enough of that is there that you jump in and you've always got a self-driven task to go and complete um and you know there is little bits of story in it as well like there is a story and a lore uh built into it but you know you could smash your button or button through those if you didn't really care about that um, and you'll still be able to know what you where where you're supposed to head off to next yeah and i think that the the other thing is this game caters to so many different play styles which i think is really enjoyable it's like i love the carrot on the stick of having the boss fights that kind of so valheim is split up into biomes that you kind of explore and each biome is kind of ruled over by a boss and your goal is to kind of defeat the boss of that biome who will then unlock the next step on your tech tree that will enable you to go into the next biome and keep progressing and getting stronger and getting new equipment and being able to make new things in your camp. And I think that that is just like the perfect carrot on a stick for someone like me that really struggles with open-ended crafting games. It gives me a goal. But then it's like, there's a part of me that's like, man, I just want to learn how to be a really good cook and farm and just make mead for everyone. And like people can just come to my nice homestead get fed, get all their buffs, and then they can go on their adventures while I just stick around and maybe I go hunting deer in the forest nearby. And I like that- player innkeeper or something. Why not, right? Like that is an option that you have. Like if you're playing with friends, you can totally be like that. I'm going to disengage from all the combat in this game and just chill at the home base and be the homesteader. 
Or you could go the other way around and be like, I want to explore everything. This is like mini Skyrim for me. I want to come across crypts and fight skeletons and live your best fantasy in that as well. I think like it just caters to so many different sort of play styles within this sort of um is this framework of a of a kind of playable sandbox that I wasn't anticipating really. Um, like I wasn't expecting to scratch that same itch that I get from like a Skyrim style game in this at all, but it's there if you want it. There's a lot to it. I guess one of the things about it is if you jump in right now, there is that real sense of discovery. Uh, you know, not every single secret has been really found yet or if it's not public knowledge of how to do it and it's still got like quite a few rough edges. This is a game that's in development. I think a lot of the, the menu systems are very old-fashioned in a way that may be an aesthetic choice um, but takes a little bit of getting your head around how they work but once you're there you, you're good I think there's a lot of potential there and you know it could be one that but uh, you know as it's got a, a strong multiplayer aspect I always struggle finding games that can handle more than four players at once I've got five friends in my game playing group that I regularly play with um, and there's not a lot of games that we can jump into uh, with the five of us and this might be the one uh, that you can jump into a world and play with um yeah any any final words on valheim look if you really enjoyed march last year peak pandemic stress and visiting everyone's animal crossing islands i think you're gonna have that same joy with valheim i really can't wait until this leaves early access i can't wait to see what this is like when it's fully finished um but i really can't wait until it's on console and we get cross play hopefully down the line because i'm i think that this game has the potential to kind of be that sort of play space where lots of people that don't normally interact with games come together and have fun, just like Animal Crossing was. And I kind of want more of that. Like, I'm, I'm excited about the social potentiality of this game. It's Valheim, um, available now on uh, PC only. But as you said, I can't imagine it would be that long before it starts making its way to some of the other platforms as well. Uh, you can pick it up and join the 5 million other people who are playing it as well. Uh, Valheim by Coffee, Coffee Stain Studios. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Well, this has been Mainstream by Pixel Sift. It's what video games the Pixel Sift team have been playing and what we've been enjoying and want to share with you. My name is Gianni. Thanks for being part of episode 22, Adam. My absolute pleasure. That was a blast. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. Uh, Adam, if people want to find you online or if they want to potentially have a listen to some other conversations that you have about games, where, where can they go to find those? I'm back on Twitter. I quit social media <laughs> for a while, but here I am. They've reeled me back in. So you can find me at Adam Christou on Twitter, um, but I'm also on the Pixel Sift Discord. So you can come to the Pixel Sift Discord, hang out with us, say hello, Jump in there. You'll find it on our website, which we'll kind of give more info about just a little bit in a minute. But yes, come to me there. Find us there. It's a good little community we've got. Uh, you can jump in if you put this into your web browser, pixelsift.com.au uh, forward slash Discord. That'll take you straight there. Or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at G underscore DI underscore G. Or give Pixelsift a follow on whatever you like. Pixelsift is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on Discord, wherever you like it. Um, we've also got another podcast as well. It's called Pixelsift. Just search for that in your podcast player. You can follow us on whatever platform you like there. Um, and uh, we talk to game developers about what it takes to make 
Games. This week, we're going to be talking to an Indonesian studio uh, called Stairway Games. Uh, they've made an extremely successful crowdfunded game called Coral Island, uh, which is a sandbox uh, sort of farming survival game, a bit like Stardew Valley, but with a whole bunch of other bits and pieces in it. You can uh, make friends with or uh, fall in love with a mermaid. What more can you ask for? I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> um, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, why not tell a friend about the podcast? You can also get them to, you know, write a review. You could leave a review. Give us some stars or, or write a message there on whatever podcast platform that you choose to listen to us on. And as Gianni mentioned, we have a website. It's pixelsift.com.au. We've got videos, articles, and much more there as well. So feel free to head on down to that. It's pixelsift.com.au. That's it for this mainstream. Until next time, have fun. 